Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. I'm Tim Blevins, lead pastor, and I'm honored you have come to join us. To experience our full service or for more information, check out the links in the description. I hope this message ministers to you and helps you find life in Jesus. Well, good morning, Life Church. How are we today? Honestly, thank you for that. The first service I asked that, and there was like one person, and I was like, it's the early service. That's why. But you guys are a little bit more energized. You got your second cup of coffee in that they did not get. So that is good. Well, I'm excited to get to be up here with you today. My name is Bailey Holmes. I am our creative director here at Life Church, but I also help my husband Lachlan lead our Echo Youth Ministry, which I absolutely love. I'm kind of like obsessed with them and they know it. I got some of my girls representing in the room and I love it. I love having them here. A lot of them are also in kids' life doing all the dances and stuff and taking care of all your amazing kids. So we do have the best youth ministry. I love them and I love getting to be a part of that. Our pastors, Tim and Harriet Blevins, they could not be here with us today because they are attending a wedding in Alabama for some good family friends of ours. And so they send their love and their prayers, as well as our pastor, Gina Limbert. She is speaking at a conference in California this weekend. So if you guys could just be praying for them as they travel back back home in the next couple of days that all their flights and their driving, everything would be good and all the things. But they all miss you guys. They've been texting me for like the past three days. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we're not there. And, oh, my gosh, praying for y'all. You know, all the things as pastors do. And so they are sad that they're not with us. But I am honored that they trust me to get to be up here with you guys today. I'm honored to get to just bring a word that I really feel like the Lord has stirred on my heart for this season. And it's something that is really near and dear to me. It's something that is on my heart a lot. It's something that God really highlights to me in his word a lot. But before I begin, I do want to ask in here, who has a green thumb? Like you are gardener extraordinaire. Okay, a few of you. Okay, that's awesome for you. Unfortunately, that is not to me. Okay, I can't keep any plant alive, and it's not like dead, dead, but like not good, you know, like where it's everything's kind of like wilting over so much to the point. The other day, we were, I, I think we were at Hoggard's Prayer Club. My husband and I, we go to Hoggard every week and help with a prayer club there, and there's a plant sitting on the table. And he was like, Oh, is that fake? And I was like, No, that's just what real alive ones look like. Ours <laughs> don't look like that. I'm so sorry. But recently, God has been stirring my heart on kind of this topic of plants and nurturing. And specifically, he's been speaking to me about a garden. But not just a garden, about the garden. About the Garden of Eden, the place of paradise. And partly because I joke all the time that I'm going to be like this homesteader who like grows all my own food, which is hysterical since I can't actually keep anything alive. So like prayers appreciated. Thank you very much. But also because I feel like the garden is this picture of God's beauty and his intent for creation. And we as humanity, I feel like have taken one too many steps outside of that. We've taken one too many steps outside of his original intent for us. And I feel like this is a season where he is beckoning us back to the garden. He is calling us back to a place of paradise. He is calling us back home with him. And so Eden, was paradise, but it was also the place that Adam and Eve called home. It was also the place that they were called to steward and to cultivate and that they found their being and their life was there. And for us, we may not be physically living in the Garden of Eden 
You know, we're in Wilmington, North Carolina. But I believe that God is calling us back to a place of Garden of, to the Garden of Eden in our own lives. He's calling us back to a place of paradise and original intent in our own lives. A place where he dwells with us and he dwells among us and he is walking about and he is showing us heaven on earth. And so it's a place that we're not bound by the chains of sin. It's a place that we're not hopeless, but we walk in freedom and we walk in wholeness. And we walk in the intention of the identity and the purpose in which he created us for. Our culture has stepped so far out of that to sometimes even living in almost like an unnatural way of life. But if we consider that our lives are like the Garden of Eden, a place that God dwells, a place that we are meant to thrive and we are meant to flourish and we're watered by his everlasting life, then it's crucial for us to learn how to cultivate the garden of our life. It's crucial for us to know how to steward that place. It's crucial for us to get back to the place of paradise with him. And so what I want for us is by the end of this message to be equipped and to know and to know God's heart for his creation, to be equipped to walk that out and to say, you know what, God, I hear the call and I'm coming back home to you. And so I've titled this message, The Call to the Garden. The Call to the Garden, Coming Home Again. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to get right on into some scripture. So God, we just thank you so much for today. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that it is to hear your words of truth, Lord, to be planted in your house this morning. God, we don't ever want to take that for granted. Right now, I pray that my words would just, anything of myself would fall away, God, but your truth and your words would just be evident in this place, God, that it wouldn't fall on deaf ears or to rocky soil, God, but it would be a place, Lord, that we can find life with you again. So we love you, and we give you today, and we say have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, we are going to be looking a lot in the Bible today, which I think is good when you're in church. So I'm going to have you open up to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at a few different sections of that chapter. And I love my digital Bible, grateful for it, but how many of you are paperback kind of people? Okay. Thank you. You are my people. I love a paperback. I don't like reading the Bible on my phone. It's, I don't know. I get, I'm too distracted for that. So I need my paperback. I think it would be cool if we brought paperback, you know, like back to church. I think that would be, that'd be cool of us. Genesis 2, 4 through 9. It says, this is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in, in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man that he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now we're going to skip down to verse 15 through 20. It says, then, it says, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned them, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone, so I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. And then we know from there he went on to create Eve out of his rib. And it says in verse 25, 
Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. You know, the garden is one of those concepts that I just love. It makes me happy. It makes me feel just like you can just see God's heart in it, you know. I imagine that the garden was lush and green and healthy and thriving all the time, that the climate was like always like exactly what they needed. You know, everything was kind of just right. I also imagine Adam and Eve walking in the garden. I, I hear them, you know, or I see them in my mind, in my, imagina- in my imagination, just walking with God, hearing his voice, hearing his heart for the creation that he just made. And then I imagine they're discovering these new plants and these new animals. I mean, imagine being the first to ever, like, see a dog. That'd be pretty weird, right? Or like a monkey or like a lion. Like, you're the first one to ever be like, what is that? And then he's like, I'm giving you this to steward over. So I just love this idea. But the Garden of Eden, it is a beautiful picture of what our lives are like with God. The garden is a picture of God's love for his people and the way that he cares and he provides for us and he nurtures us and he longs to be with us. But like in the garden of Eden, our sin defiled once once the things that were made for our good and for his glory. Eve chose to sin and then she convinced her husband to sin. And then when they both ate of the fruit, their sinful nature came out in full force. And then they started using, like, the fig leaves to try to cover themselves up. The thing that God had given them to rule over, they were now trying to hide behind. The thing that God had given them dominion over, they were trying to cover themselves in their shame from God. But we know on this side of heaven, or on this side of the cross, that God paved that way back for us to the garden. We know that Jesus came and he rose from the grave so that we could find life with him again. That we could go back to this place of fullness and freedom and life that the garden once provided. We don't have to live lives that are defiled and destroyed and chaotic, but we get to live in the fullness that God has for us. But what so often happens to both Christians and non-Christians alike, we live with our hands tied behind our backs as if we don't have the choice to be set free. We live burdened by our sin and slaves to the struggle and depressed and anxious. And I understand those things still happen even, you know, we still feel anxious sometimes or we still mess up sometimes on this side of the cross. I get that. But that was never God's intent. God's intent for us has only been for our good and for his glory. His heart for us has always been to give us hope and joy and peace and life to the fullest. In John 10.10, it says, The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. God is calling us back to life, but not just any life, a life with him. A life back in paradise where sin and struggle doesn't hold us and chain us down, but we are actually being set free. It's a call to the garden, the place that we see God's intentionality and his heart. So what does a call to the garden look like? It looks like a call to connection. A call to connection It is imperative that we stay connected to the source of life, to Jesus, to his church. 
to his word, that we plant ourselves deeply there because it is a place that we learn to live and we find our being and we learn to be that all to be all that God has created us to be. It's the place that he prunes us and he purifies us and he gives us life. We find our purpose there. But outside of this place, we are nothing. Amen. We're going to flip to John 15, 1 through 8. John 15, 1 through 8. It says, I am the vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been purified, pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to the Father. It is for our good and for his glory that we stay connected to him. He is the place that we find life and that we can produce fruit. Apart from him, we, we can't do it on our own. And can I be honest with you about something? I believe one of the biggest problems that we see in the world right now is that people have forgotten how to be connected to the source of life. We have forgotten how to plant our feet in his house and plant our hearts in his word. But it is so important that we do just that, that we're in the house of God and that we're in his word and that we know Jesus for who he truly is because what we put in, we're then going to harvest that we're then going to replant. It would be foolish of me to think I'm going to go plant a tomato vine, vines? I don't know if they're even a vine, a tomato plant, but think that I'm going to get oranges out of it. Like, that would be foolish of me to think that. In the same way, it is foolish of us to think I can fill my life with things that are not of God and think I'm going to produce the fruit of his spirit. If we are sowing into our lives things that are depressing and dark and chaotic, that are destroying us, that's going to be the harvest that comes out of us. But not only is that the harvest, that's what we're going to replant. Those are the seeds that we have to replant. So it's up to us to sow into us the right thing so we can produce the right harvest so that then we can replant the harvest for the generations to come that they're going to reap that are things of God. When we live for God... When we receive his salvation power and we live these redeemed lives, we, are, we then have this incorruptible seed, one that is imperishable. It tells us in 1 Peter 1.23, it says, For you having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Church, Jesus is a seed that will never turn up empty. Jesus is the seed that you know when the harvest comes, you are producing fruit. You are producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the, the fruits of his spirit that we produce when we stay connected and we find our nourishment and we find our life in him. We find home, we find life, we find paradise in this place. He will create a garden out of our lives when we are connected to him. And I look around our world so much and I realize the drought that our world is in. 
People are quenched and they are desperate for truth. The problem is, is that we look too many times at empty pits rather than wells. We look out in the dry places, the things that actually can't give to us. We look for love in places that can't define it. We look for affirmation in people who are more broken than we are. We are looking for answers in places that aren't the truth. They can't give it to us. But the fact of the matter is, is that the only way for us to thrive in life is if we are connected to the gardener of our life. Because no one else is coming. Acts 4.12. Acts 4.12 says this. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way to life, and he gives it in full. He has all we need. We just have to stay connected. Remember how I said the garden is a perfect picture of God's love for us. It is a perfect picture of the way he cares for us and nurtures us. Being connected to the source of life allows us to experience just that. He gives us his everlasting water. He brings us his son who is light and who is life. He gives us the imperishable seed of salvation. And just like he did for Adam and Eve, he then clothes us and he puts us on a path for redemption. And what I love about this idea of being connected is that it's not a one-way street. Jesus wants to be just as connected to us. He longs to be with us. He wants to do life with us and dwell within us. In Genesis 2.8, it says, Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. Now, if you're a gardener in here, you understand the amount of work that goes into a garden. And it's not a one-time thing. You're constantly having to cultivate the soil, to water it, to nurture it, to take care of it using the right tools. What I love about the Garden of Eden is that God planted the garden. He was active in it. He was actually planting it. He was cultivating it. And I want you to know today that God is in this with you too. He didn't just drop you here on earth and hoping that you figure it out and good luck if you don't. But he is in the middle of it with you. He is planting the seeds of life within you. He is planting within you too. He's not absent. He's working. And he is the gardener that we need when we accept him into our lives. And he begins to plant a garden of life within us. The Bible tells us that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. He wants to be with us. He wants to dwell with us. The garden reminds us of our connection to the Father and the nearness that he wants to have with us. The call to the garden requires a call back to connection. The call to the garden also requires a call to conviction. Conviction means a strong belief, compelled to the truth, or being convinced of something. God has given us a standard of life to live. He's given us a word to stand on. And we can either choose to live it out or we don't. We can either be compelled to the truth of his word to the point that we say, God, I'm giving you everything that I am or we don't. It's not enough for us to say, I'm going to honor God in some of my life, but maybe not in these areas because it's, it's a little uncomfy that way, right? God has given us a standard to live. And when we remember that his intent for us has always been for 
our good and for his glory, we can be confident in the fact that when we choose to align our lives with the word of truth, that we are truly going to be living in a place of paradise with him. We know that we are living life to the full, and that is what his intent and his heart for us is. It is for our good. What I've learned in my own life is that any time I step outside of God's intent for me, I step into sin, strife, destruction, defilement, chaos. It's in those places when I step outside of God's intent for my life that I find myself falling into habits that aren't good. Or I start watching TV shows or movies or listening to music that doesn't glorify God. My conversations get a little bit more gossipy. I stop reading my Bible as much and just kind of check it off the list if I get to it. I'm not a better wife. I'm not a better friend. I'm not a better leader to my students. But conviction calls us to a higher standard. Not for the sake of pleasing others, but for the sake of desiring what God has for us. And that is the difference between religion and relationship, that when we live for God out of a place of true desire for righteousness and wholeness in our lives, that's relationship. But when we do it trying to just please and look the part, that's when religion creeps in. But I don't know about you, I want to live in the fullness that God has for me. I want full freedom. I want full wholeness. I want full healing. I want full life, not just in part, but in whole. God doesn't give us himself in part. He gave everything for us. So are we giving him everything in return? He doesn't give us his heart in pieces, but he gives it in whole. Mark 12, 30 says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all your strength. This is my first commandment. We are called to give him our all. That word love in that verse, it means to long for or take pleasure in. Meaning we don't love God and live our lives based out of comfort or convenience, but we actually truly long for him in every single part of who we are. Our finances, our health, our family, our marriage, how we lead at work, every area is for God. We don't live as compartmentalized Christians who follow the Bible when it works and when it feels good and when it aligns with maybe what we are actually thinking. We care more about the kingdom of God than we do about pleasing culture. God is calling us back to a place of conviction. Our culture has thrown conviction straight up out the window, literally just whoop, to the point that it is nearly impossible to live a convicted life without getting some type of hate in return. I mean, if you've been on social media for more than like 17 seconds, you understand what I'm saying. But conviction is what keeps our roots deep. Conviction keeps our roots deep. In the Garden of Eden, Eve's conviction for what God had told her about the tree did not outweigh her desire for self-ambition. In Genesis 3, 1 through 6, I'm going to flip there, says this. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? First of all, y'all, 
if someone comes up to you and they're like, did God really say, run away. Pack your bags, get out of there, okay? Get out. She said, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. So Eve was our first little feminist up in the world. Love that for us, right? I'm like, so good. Thank you, Eve. She was convinced that the words of the devil were truth. God had already told her back in Genesis 2 that if they ate from the tree that they were going to die. But the enemy's goal has always been to divide our relationship with the Father. It has always been to try to confuse the motives that God has for us and to make us feel uncertain about God's heart for us and what he wants for us in the way that he designed us. And that's exactly what he did here with Eve when he started questioning God's motives. But that didn't end in the garden. The enemy doesn't have any new tricks up his sleeve. He's not that smart, okay? Still doing the same thing, but today it sounds a little bit like this. Did God really say that marriage, the marriage covenant, is between a man and a woman only? Come on, love is love. Did God really say that sex outside of marriage is wrong? Why would he be restraining people's natural desires like that? Did God really say that there's no one else that can bring you to heaven? We all serve the same God just with different names, right? Did God really say that all human lives are valuable? Doesn't he know that some people just can't handle it and it's not fair on him to force people to keep a baby they don't want? All of these are just a few things that when I say I read every single day, I'm going to go six out of seven days a week because day seven I just like I can't, do, I can't do it anymore. All right, like I need a moment. But these are the arguments that are being faced to Christians every single day. And it, we have to be convicted on what we believe. We have to know what the Bible says and we have to know the tactics of the enemy. We need Christians who are called back to conviction. We need Christians who choose not to live lives half mixed with the world, but they are actually living lives fully for God, who are so connected to the source of life that the words of death won't sway or uproot us. We need to be connected or to be convi convicted on the word of truth. Who, we need Christians who choose God's ways are higher and better. Isaiah 55, 9 for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We have to cling to his ways because they are better, they are higher than ours, and we have to remember that it is for our good and for his glory. Living based on conviction, based on the word of truth, will only cause our lives to flourish. His word never returns void. He is the seed that never comes up empty. You know, one of the hardest prayers I've ever prayed wasn't the one for patience, although I don't recommend that. Just kidding. You should pray it. It's a fun time. The hardest prayer that I've ever prayed was break my heart, God, for what breaks yours. Because when you pray that and you say, God, break my heart for what breaks yours, you see the places in your life and in the world 
that no longer have aligned with his, that no longer align with his word of truth, the places that have become defiled by our sinful nature, that we've stepped out of God's intentional design and we've stepped into destruction. God doesn't want us to live convicted lives because he's this heavy-handed slave driver. God's heart breaks from our sin because he knows that our sin breaks us. He knows that our sin, it breaks us, and he doesn't want that for us. That's not his heart for his kids. His heart breaks so much to the point that he was willing to pay the highest price so that we could live in the fullness of life, that we could live healed and redeemed and set free, that we don't have to be bound by these things anymore. We don't have to live with our hands tied behind our backs in the weeds anymore. The garden doesn't just show us who we are created to be, but it shows us who he has always been. It shows us how much he loves us, how much he wants a relationship with us. But so often, like Adam and Eve, we feel like the places that we have allowed our conviction to slip has caused us to just be too far away from the Lord. But God is walking in that garden calling out to us, even in our sin and even in our shame. Genesis 3, 7 through 9. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. This is after they ate the fruit. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? For some of you in here today, God is calling out to you. He's calling for you to come back home. To be back in the garden with him in a place of paradise where he dwells among you and he cares for you and he's nurturing you and he's with you. I graduated high school a few years ago. Not that many years. Like seven. And when I moved out of, you know, when I was going to college, I went to a ministry school in Sydney, Australia. And so three weeks out of grad- after I graduated high school, packed my bags, moved myself across the world like a crazy person, and I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And I remember something that my mom said to me that I've never forgotten to this day. So they came with me to help me get set up there. And before she left, she looked at me and said, Bailey, I want you to know, the airplane, it always comes back home. The airplane always comes back home. And for you in here today, if you just feel like you are far, I want you to know that airplane, it turns around. It comes back home. You don't have to live stuck with your hands behind your back. But God has so much for you. He loves you so much that he paved the way back to the garden for you. We just need to be connected to him and living for him. I want to close out this message today by praying two different prayers. One for connection. For those of you who have never said yes to Jesus. You've never asked him to come and be the Lord and Savior of your life. Or maybe you're just like, I have fallen too far away and I need to be reconnected. I need to recommit and say, God, my life is yours. I want to pray for you. But I also, after that, I'm going to pray for all of us together in this room. I want to pray for us to live this convicted lives based on the word of truth. Because how many of you know it takes all of us together to see the kingdom of God take territory here on earth? It takes all of us. And so... 
if you're in here today and you have, you're like, Bailey, I need to connect my life back to the Father. Or I've never said yes to Jesus. I want to do that. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus for the very first time, or maybe you're just wanting to recommit, I'm going to ask you to be a little bit bold just at your seat with me. You are loved by God, but we as humans, we are sinful, and we have separated ourselves from him. But Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice for us so that we could live eternal life with him. We just have to accept his free gift of eternal life by faith. So with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you in here today and you're saying, I need to connect to the Father. I need Jesus as my Savior. I'm just going to ask when I count to three that you would raise your hand as just a sign of surrender, but also just so I can see who I'm praying with today. Ready? And one, two, three. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We're going to repeat this prayer together as a church family today. Dear God, thank you for sending your one and only Son to take away all my sin and all my shame. I choose today to give you my heart and to be connected to you and ask you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, why don't we give it up for those people who just made that decision for the first time today? Amen. It's the best decision you'll ever make, I promise you. The next group of people is all of us, because we're all in this together. But what I'm going to have you do actually right now is I'm going to have you stand up at your seat. I'm going to ask, or I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask that you would with me maybe just pray at your own seat, maybe even just lift your hands as I pray, as just a sign of saying, I choose to stand on the word of God in this, in this culture. I choose that I want to be someone who brings the kingdom of heaven here on earth, no longer bound by the things of this world. I don't want to see the things of this world chain any more people, but I choose to be a beacon of light for other people to come and know the Father. So we're going to pray. So God, I just thank you right now for every person that is in this room, for every person under my voice that can hear me today, God. And I just pray right now for an increased boldness in everybody to live lives that are grounded in truth, Lord, that are grounded in your word, that are grounded in faith in who you say that you are, Jesus. Lord, I just pray for every person that no plan of the enemy will come and uproot them or sway them, God, but the blood of Jesus will be a protector over them, Lord. Lord, I thank you for every person. Lord, I thank you that we as a church family, we stand for truth. We stand for righteousness. We stand for wholeness, God. And we choose to see your kingdom here on earth. So God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you guys can have your seat. Um, yeah, you can sit back down. I think Eli's going to come in just a second. But hey, thank you for letting me come and speak with you guys today. I pray you have a great rest of your week.